Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Hello and welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. On this week's episode, we're sharing with you a talk from our archives. This talk was first given at 2012's Pastoral Refreshment Conference by Terry Virgo. As this audio is quite old, it is not perhaps the quality we would usually share, but do bear with it as it is a very encouraging message, looking at the life of Elijah and when God met him on the mountain. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your infinite mercy to us, for your lavish kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you are interested in us. We thank you. Your word says it matters to you about us. We thank you, so cast your care on him, for he cares for you. Lord, it's so wonderful. Father, we, we come here to serve. We come here, Lord Jesus. We want to serve your flock. We We feel, Lord Jesus, you've called us to that. And we we come to be nourished ourselves, uh, freshly fortified by your word and your spirit. So please come, Lord. Please help us, Father. We confess without you we're nothing. With you all things are possible. So we trust you, Lord Jesus, to meet our need because of your great love, Lord. So bless us with your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we read about Elijah in the NIV. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. And uh, first reading, you'd think, well, if ever there was a man not like us, it's Elijah. Uh, Some of the Bible characters, prophets like Samuel, you know about their childhood, you know something of their upbringing, you can see them coming on the scene. Uh, The prelude to Elijah's ministry is now Elijah. Uh, he's in your face suddenly and at the end he uh, is taken to heaven in a whirlwind you think wow is this really a man where did he come from where did he go is he really a man like us he can call down fire he can call down the rain he can stop the rain is he really a man just like us is that true and then you come to this passage that we've just had read for us and we think oh yes he's a man just like us he's frail like us suddenly the man who looks so bold and courageous is terrified, he's fearful. This one who was so preoccupied with God's glory is fearful for himself. The one who stood so firm is running so scared. The one who looks like he's holding history in his hand is now so irrelevant. The one who was so visible and public is now hidden and secret. The one who was so clear about the issues is now thoroughly muddled and confused. He's a man just like us. We see a man who seems somehow to have such authority and power one minute is utterly vulnerable the next, at the turn of the page, just the beginning of a chapter. Just suddenly, Jezebel's threat robs him of all his energy and he collapses. And it's a phenomenal chapter, a fascinating chapter, I think. We can have to say, I think, I've just been uh, preaching on Sunday night about Simon Peter walking on the storm towards Jesus and uh, he suddenly sank. And the word says simply, really, he saw 
the wind and the waves. And in that moment, he got his eyes off of the eyes of Jesus. The eyes of Jesus, which seem to say to you, all things are possible to you. Uh, but he must have lost that gaze. And I guess that's what happened to Elijah. He stopped looking clearly. He wasn't fixing his gaze. And I'd like to ask some questions, really. Why and how? What, what happened that he should get his gaze off of God in that moment? And some of the things that have happened in his life most recently... Well, he slaughtered the prophets of Baal. He acted with something of the anger of God. Handling God's anger is a very difficult thing to handle. Righteous indignation is a scary thing to get into because, well, it can sometimes overlap with our personal likes and dislikes. Sometimes it gets under our skin. Sometimes we express our own preferences. I think that very often handling righteous indignation, which I believe we're meant to, the Bible says, be angry. It's a command of God. Some of us are not made that way. Be angry, but don't sin. It's so easy to maybe get your eyes off of God when you're expressing your concerns about things that you think matter to God. Very easy to lose God in moments like that. So easy to go over from, yes, what God thinks to what I feel about it. Maybe, maybe something of that happened maybe in those moments where he had to handle such, an, such a terrible thing, kill his prophets I wonder if there was a vulnerable point there do you find that place of vulnerability when you're passionate about truth, why aren't they you're passionate about doctrines, it's so easy to get your eyes off Jesus when other things begin to matter to you more I remember when I was first pastoring in a a free church in, uh, on the south coast and a gentleman came straight past me at the door I used to greet people at the door at that time and straight past me actually he went to our book table and uh, he opened one of the books and he turned to a page he obviously knew in advance and he came straight to me at the door and said uh, call yourself an evangelical? I said uh, yes he said why have you got this book on your table? do you know what he says on this page? I said uh, good morning <laughs> he was a very angry man Head passionately about truth. I wasn't helping his spirit a lot. Maybe, maybe Elijah got confused at that moment. Secondly, another thing that had just happened to him was that he had had an amazing breakthrough. All previous obedience to God had been secret. He's got a wonderful testimony, hasn't he? You find God says, "Go here," and he immediately rises and goes. Some of it very testing. Now go into the wilderness, go, and a raven will feed you. Go to Zarephath, go, go. Raises a little boy from the dead. Phenomenal. Raises a little boy. There's no, no crowd to applaud. All his obedience hitherto has been secret, unapplauded. Now, suddenly, having been trained by God, he's now public. He can call fire down from heaven. And the crowd goes crazy. Now he's got to handle euphoria, he's got to handle applause, he's got to handle affirmation, vindication. Sometimes it's more difficult to handle than difficulties. Sometimes easier to get your eyes off Jesus when everyone's saying, Wow, you're impressive. You can call that fire? You can do that? Did you notice how those people were swayed by what you said? Man, you're impressive. Hard to handle. Maybe that's where it's dangerous. You can get your eyes off Jesus. Somewhere he lost 
having his eyes on Jesus. He outran Ahab. Remember, he said to Ahab, You better move Ahab. And he outran him. Imagine, outran a chariot. Something about the power of God in this man. Maybe it got to him. Maybe he got his eyes off Jesus. Maybe it was simply the, the satanic barb of fear through Jezebel's work. We spoke last evening about fiery darts. There's fiery arrows that can burn. And Jezebel is totally unrepentant. You think this is the story? We tend to think of Elijah bringing revival. So he's a revival name. You know, Elijah could make it rain. Actually, there's no repentance for the king or the queen. Although these prophets are slain, Jezebel's still very much in command. Well, what was all that about? And suddenly this piercing, I'll kill you. You'll be as dead as they were. And suddenly fear just overwhelms you. Fear is so powerful, so terrifying. You forget everything you know sometimes when the arrow gets right through. You know all sorts of things. But when fear dominates, you can so lose the sight of Jesus. And here, yeah, maybe it was the fiery dart. You will be as dead tomorrow. Suddenly he's terrified. Maybe he's just emotionally drained. Maybe he's, uh, to use a modern phrase, stressed out. He has been experiencing famine. He's watched the world, or his world, overwhelmed by famine. He said it won't rain till I say so. In three years now, and he's watching animals die, he's watching agriculture fall to pieces, fall to pieces. He's, he's seen all sorts of stress and strain. The woman he's living with, she was going to die. Her son's going to die. It's like, see, he must be looking at terrible things, stress is coming. He sent out the word, uh, gather at Carmel. But it's not like today, you don't send it by tweet. You know, it's not on Facebook. It takes a while for the word to get out there. It must have been a, a delay, prolonged delay, until the nation gathered at Carmel, some many thousands maybe. Maybe he's just exhausted. Just ran out of steam. You know, the euphoria, sometimes you think you're doing fine, but it's just euphoria. It's just excitement about a program, rather than getting strength from Jesus. Euphoria can carry you. You can get exhausted while things are still happening. And he just doesn't have anything left. The Bible says that even of Jesus, virtue went out of him. What if we take account of that? Virtue went out of him. It says in the Bible you can be weary in well doing. And I'm suggesting maybe some ways Elijah may have got it wrong. Maybe I'll have to account to Elijah one day. So no, no, it's all right. You didn't do any of those things. It may have just been exhausting. You can be weary in doing what? Virtue goes out of you. Maybe he was just absolutely exhausted in serving the purpose of God. That can happen to us. We can grow weary in well-doing. We can be weary through, to be honest, just disappointment. Disappointment is very draining. You can do your best until it wasn't appreciated. It's hard. We sort of... We so enjoy appreciation. It's so encouraging to be appreciated. It's so draining to work hard and not be appreciated. To put on a program, maybe to plan an alpha or something. You get a lot of people and then no one gets saved or added. 
do all we did went through all that. We went through our big Christmas program. We worked so hard to get the whole thing. And the Melbourne stayed. They came and sang our carols and they went again, doing all that hard work. Uh, and you can find disappointment is very, very draining. And here's Jezebel saying, okay, so you can call down fire from heaven. So what? I'll kill you for it. Right. All that he went through, three years build up. And she's unchanged. Ahab's unchanged. It's very disappointing. Disappointment is very, very draining. It can be tough in your marriage. It can be tough. Actually, it can even invade your marriage when you feel the one you really love doesn't even appreciate you. That can happen. It can happen when the guy is working very, very hard and uh, he comes home and he says, well, what's the bit of a meal? You know? And uh, she's like, well, I'm going to a meeting. And, Come on, I thought there'd be some support here. Or maybe she's been all day with little children. You know, no, Johnny, don't touch that. I'll hold you on it. And they just speak baby talk to you all day. You spend all day baby talk, baby talk. And indoor comes a mature person. <laughs> speak, speak words to me. <laughs> And in fact, he's been speaking words all day, and he just sits down and picks up the newspaper and says, when will the meal be ready? <laughs> and uh, tonight you'll want me to be all frisky in bed. Why don't they talk to me? really want me. And although we laugh, that can be so painful, that sense of not being appreciated, not being wanted in the way you'd like to be wanted. And that's very, very draining Think tough. Delay is hard, isn't it? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's a Bible verse. We don't have it on our fridges very often. <laughs> <laughs> Hope delayed makes the heart sick. And we get that. We get delayed. Lord. And, and we, just, we need to be aware. We need to be aware of stuff that hurts us, drains our energy. We mustn't just be unaware. Hope deferred, and especially if it's perplexing, sometimes you can see the answers. Oh, that's why the delay. You know, read these wonderful stories. We mentioned Joseph last evening, or, or David. You know, we see the end of the story. We can see, oh, I see, that's what God was doing. The tragedy is we can't see sometimes. We can't think, well, why did that happen? You know, sometimes you miss a bus, and I miss the bus, and you're standing at a bus stop, and oh, wow, time. And then someone comes along and says, oh, hello, hello. You're from that church, aren't you? Uh, yes, I am. I see people go down that road. They look very friendly. Yes, we are. Would you like? Yes, you know. Would you love to come? But it's never. That's why I missed the bus. <laughs> <laughs> but it's when you miss the bus and it rains and no one speaks to you. <laughs> You know, things happen which sometimes you oh, that's what it was about. It's so lovely when you say, oh, I understand now. That's why I was in hospital. That, I met that person. I, that door opened. But sometimes you cannot see any good thing coming out of this. I say, Lord, why? And there's no answer. It's very draining. It takes your energy. With that can come fear. Fear is such a powerful weapon against us. And I, I would just say that all these things, if you like, they've been there right since Elijah's day, but all the pressures and things that people have lived with, you add to our day another part which wasn't there before. 
today's pace of life is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. My father, now with the Lord, in his lifetime, he remembered the first automobile, the first car coming through Brighton. And in his lifetime, men walked on the moon. In that generation. <laughs> well, now we live in a blur. Now we say, uh, um, how far is it from science? We say, oh, it's two hours. We don't say how far it is. And we say, well, I could do this and I could do that. But my wife said to me this morning, my aunt lives near here. I haven't seen her. I'm going to see my aunt. She lives like 10 miles down the road, I'm free. I think, we can do this and this. And if I do that, I can probably there as well. And, and I can pick up it. Of course you can. And, and you've got email now. And where's the problem? You used to know when the mail came in. At 9 o'clock in the morning, you work through today's mail. Now, you get mail at 9, 10, 11, 12. On it goes. And you reply, come back again. I'm just done with that. It's mine already. That's all right. We live at an awesome pace. Have you, have you taken it into account? This wonderful Bible written in another age. But we live in a day of phenomenal possibility. I preached once in Washington DC in the morning and I flew and preached the same day in California in the evening. It's crazy. But we can do it. So we do. Pace is phenomenal. So here we find pressures. What he suddenly lost it. He suddenly ran out. He suddenly had nothing more to give. We wouldn't have expected it from such a giant of faith. But the Bible says he was a man just like us. And the Bible is so honest. Don't you love the Bible? It's so honest. And so, yeah, despondency and dejection. And you get this word, I am no better than my father's. Maybe he had a strange thought that he was. But he got a, a discovery now that he isn't. I'm not better than my father's. He says he ran into the wilderness. The desert, I noticed in the NIV, but he just ran out. And you know, sometimes words have kind of a bit of loaded, they're loaded right to the wilderness. It says about Judas. He went out of the upper room and it was dark. Just as and it was dark. You know, you feel it's more than it was dark. It was dark. He ran up where it to the wilderness. We talk about going into a wilderness experience. And it says he was going, and um, verse 3 says he left his servant. There came a moment maybe where this boy, where, where did he get a servant from? Where did he, Elijah get a servant? Someone suggested maybe his servant was the boy that he raised from the dead. Maybe he was the servant. Maybe he was the one that said, can I come with you? Maybe he took him as a servant. And maybe, yes, Elijah, my hero. My amazing hero. And he's going with him, he's going with him, and then it says he left him. There come moments when you're getting dejected where there are certain eyes you don't want to look into. This little boy's looking up, Elijah, where are we going? Where are we going? Oh, you stay there. You need to watch for that, you need to notice. When you're feeling, I don't want to see him, I don't want to see her. Oh, she's coming, I don't want to see her. Why not? Be careful, why not? Why? What's wrong? Is there something you're not looking at fellowship anymore? What? Be aware of yourself. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones used to say, know yourself. So what's happening to me? I'm backing off people. Here he left him alone, he withdrew into loneliness, 
and he went into total loss of purpose quickly followed by condemnation and complete lack of self-worth take my life from me he prayed for suicide prayer if you've been in pastoral ministry for a length of time you will be shocked sometimes to hear someone say to you I would have taken my life if it hadn't been for my wife, my husband, the kids what? how near is that going? I, would, take my, I, don't, I don't want to live anymore and I'm shocked that he says that and I'm shocked that the, the, the suicide wish can, it shows the power of Satan it shows how quickly from calling down fire from heaven this guy is now saying I don't want to live anymore it's phenomenal and yet this is telling us that that sort of suicide wish is not so far away Satan's power to ensnare and captivate the mind and frighten the heart and make you feel what am I on the planet for and you can wake up to those feelings you go through a period of depression best time of the day is when you put your head on the pillow at night the worst time of the day is when you wake up and here we go again and what am I on the planet for? Very, very scary. So this is where Elijah is. He, he hit a really bad moment. And now, praise God, we look into the second half of the story, really. Let's notice he, he encounters God. Alright, so let's begin to see what happened. Notice, first of all, notice what God does not do. God takes no notice of his suicide prayer. God does not react to him. He doesn't say, okay, Elijah, get out of here. Come on, let's get the next prophet. You are useless. But he's never, <laughs> nothing like that. Nor does God just back off and say, okay, I'll leave him. Now, grace doesn't just leave us. Grace is very proactive. And here God begins to act for him. And notice the things that he does. Grace brushes aside the suicide mood. First of all, he lets him sleep. You know, that scripture says, first the physical, then the spiritual. I was so moved by those wonderful testimonies last night. They were just, uh, I can't see our friends, but they probably hear somewhere. They were wonderful testimony last night. And uh, yes, uh, just magnificent. And uh, the comment, you must remember the creation ordinances. You must remember our humanity. And it's interesting that the very first thing is that he lets him sleep. And uh, I wonder if we take that seriously enough. I wonder if we uh, are very careful with Sabbath rest. We may not see we're under the Sabbath in its Old Testament connotations, but there's a creation order of rest. We must, we must observe. For me to be with you on a Monday is very rare for me. I'm very, there's one thing I'm religious about, it's Mondays. I don't normally touch Monday. Monday is my day, but we Wednesday and we don't do anything else. I often say, people say, well, you come into a weekend of ministry, you can go home on the Monday. I say, no, I'm working Monday. Oh, really? What are you doing? I'm with my wife. It's <laughs> my day off. Are you careful to keep? You say, well, well, we'll just do it on Monday, we'll just do whatever your day. Are you careful to guard 
Your days are pretty rare, exceptional for you. Even this morning earlier, I was saying to Wendy, should we have Thursday or Friday this week? I'm going to have one of the days. You be careful. Make sure. Don't burn the candle both ends. It's very important. Don't just, we, that was such an eloquent testimony last night. It's just wonderful. So Jesus glorifying and so vulnerable. We must be very, very careful not to keep driving ourselves. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. Hallelujah. First thing. We enter interesting. He makes me lie down. That's the whole point of the gospel. Every mouth is closed. It says. No more arguments. No more endeavors to vindicate ourselves. He makes me lie down. That's the beginning of the gospel. He lets us rest. We need to just make sure we're keeping that rest. He let him sleep. Next thing he did was gave him something to eat. And come on, counsel. You counsel. You the demons. You get one of your bondage. You're like, well, you Have a very, very simple, isn't it? He slept. And then he ate. And I, and I think, I love this too. That while he's obedient, and God says, right, say to Ahab it won't rain, he delivers his message. Now where do I preach, Lord? You know, I have got I can imagine, Marge, Elijah, I close the heavens. I will probably be preaching up and down the nation now. Yeah. Come and hear me. Next week, Jericho, the week after, uh, I'll be here and there. I may call down water this week. I may make it rain. Come and hear me. I am the voice to Israel at the moment. May God just go and hide yourself. Okay. And a raven will feed you. Huh? A raven? So when you get obedient, you get ravens. A raven. Don't much fashion with a raven. That's when you're being absolutely obedient. So when you're obedient to a raven, when you run away, what's going to feed you now? It was a raven when you're being obedient. Run for your life, run for what is it? An angel. An angel. <laughs> this is to me this is what grace is all about. But when you're running away, an angel comes and prepares food, supernatural meal, angel cake. You get supernatural food that has just come down out of heaven. And you think, well, I'm useless, I'm, I'm a waste of space on the planet, and an angel comes to me. Haven't you found, I found that over decades, Jesus takes my breath away. He is so gracious. He amazes me. He amazes me. And here you find that an angel feeds him. It's in church. You find similar with Simon Peter. You find certain similarities here with how Simon Peter, having denied Christ, and wept and been a broken man. And then Jesus comes to him. And you remember that resurrection encounter. He's at the shore, the lakeside. And you get this word coming. Have you had anything to eat? You find it, you miserable son of creature. No, have had any breakfast? And there's Jesus, and he's got the barbecue going. And have something to eat. First the physical, then the spiritual. He's exhausted. Now, we just must not think we're supernatural creatures. Sleep, eat. 
And then actually lets him run. Give him space. Ease. You've got 40 days. 40 days to wait. And the told to go anywhere. Just give him space. Let him run. Space. Not heavy counseling. Not, you know, give him space. And he's left to run these 40 days. He runs. And we begin to see that things start shaping up again. He begins... It says at first he ran into the wilderness, then it says he starts to run to Horeb. And this is the wonderful thing about believers, we know too much, we know enough, we know where there's a rock. We know where God has revealed himself before. Horeb, the place of the Ten Commandments, the place of encounter, the other name for Sinai, he, he goes to things where he knows, I know there's a God, I know God has revealed himself, I'm running back to God's place of revelation. And we know too much. It's great, isn't it? When, even when you're low, you know too much. You know about the rock. You know about what you know. You know enough to start running there. And he begins to run to Horeb. The foundations are always there. The godly know the place, the foundation. We know a God of history. We know a God of covenant. We run back to this covenant-keeping God. And then you get this beautiful encounter with God himself. And the first thing that happens is that God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And I think it's telling us, you know, when, when you really lose it, you feel, I'm, I'm a nothing in our world of psychoanalysis and analysis, and, you know, I'm just a feeling, I'm a blob. But you're not a blob. You are Elijah. You have a name that even speaks Elijah. It speaks it, you you have identity. You are my servant. The sense in which there's a firmness about it. When we think, oh baby, I'm a baby. No, no, you're not baby, you're Elijah. You're my servant. What are you what are you, my servant, doing here? And sometimes we need a firm we need God to kind of Hold us by the shoulder. Sometimes you get a little child who gets very, very fretful. And uh, I don't always need just a gentle word. Sometimes I need you to hold their shoulders and speak into their face. Say, come on, my son, what are you doing? Let them realize who they are afresh. Elijah, what are you doing? You get this word to him. You find similar, really, with Simon, son of Jonah. I know who you are. Simon, do you love me? What are you doing? I know you. I know our relationship. <coughs> so sometimes we say, oh, I might fly, fly away. No, no, no. Come back to the rock. Come back to the covenant keeping God. And then you get this kind of firework display. You have the rocks and the power. And, and yet it says God was not in the power. Sometimes we feel a demonstration of power is everything, yet clearly it was, it was in God's plan, a reminder of the awesome authority of God. But sometimes it's even when you're at a big meeting, everyone's enjoying God, you can feel your loneliness. You can feel your most... Where is he? I think everybody else is enjoying God. He didn't meet God in the power. He didn't meet God in the earthquake. And so we then get this beautiful phrase... He heard a gentle whisper. To me, this is really where it turns. The, the tenderness of grace is so on display here. A gentle whisper. 
I love that old hymn, Oh, to lie forever here, doubt and care and fear resign, while he whispers in my ear, I am his, he is mine. The recovery that comes from the gentle whisper. You can't, fireworks display can't compare with that gentle affirmation, gentle whisper. Psalm 18.35, your gentleness makes me great. And that's David. That's David who's not allowed to build the temple, but he's got so much blood in his sword. He's a warrior, but it's his gentleness that made me great. He knows God. He knows God's gentleness. He knows his tenderness. He's conscious of those whispering encounters. Again in Psalm 18, he rescued me because he delighted in me. He spoke intimately. I love the word delight, don't you? That's really in our passage last night too. We sat down under his shadow with great delight. Delight is a wonderful word. It's not just God's putting up with you. He delights you. Do you believe it? Or do you first think, well, I just got to serve God, I hope he's satisfied. We can sometimes even feel like the one talent man. I know you're a hard man trying to reap what you haven't sown. We can feel that. God's, God's trying to get out of me more than he's invested in me. I know you're a hard man. No, you need to know. God says we have come to know and believe the life God has for us. You come to believe it and know it. Does he believe it? It's important. He delights in you. I'm so fascinated with that word delight. That's, it says about the church, I'll give you a new name. What is the new name? My delight. <coughs> we're his pride. We're his delight. I looked up the word delight in the dictionary and it wasn't very exciting. So I looked up in the thesaurus. You're familiar with thesaurus? I enjoy thesaurus. And uh, it's the kind of words that this word knocks about with, you know, other friendly words that are similar to that word. This is what I found under delight in the thesaurus. And it really, when I thought about this, I thought, Jesus, you're coming to me. And I thought, this is your attitude towards me. This is how you feel when you say you delight in me. Here are the words. Laugh, smile, get a kick out of. Isn't that lovely? I get a kick out of you. <laughs> Hug oneself. Purr. Imagine all heavens and the angels are God's purring over him again. <laughs> Bask in, wallow, enjoy, have fun, exhilarate, relish, elate, thrill, intoxicate, ravish, entrance, enrapture. Oh. Son of Solomon, one glance of your eyes has ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. I don't know about you, but it's so helped by John Piper's writings, especially one, the pleasures of God. I was reading, desiring God and enjoying it, and I was getting pleasures of God, and I thought, oh, this is all wrong the pleasures of God. He had delight in us. To me, that is the hub of everything. That God should delight in me. That God, one glance of your eye, just one look. I remember when I fell in love with Wendy and I was at London Bible College and I could see her sometimes in the crowd and you know, she's over there and we were all different teams and things and that's what it is. She looked at 
It's so exciting, isn't it? Delight. My youngest son has just had his first book. I mean, he's on Skype as often as he can to put this baby in front of my face. He's just, he's just, oh, look. You know, he's just like a tub of lard, really. Well, this thing's That's what we're talking about, their life. That to me, that is the, see, I'm, I'm the waste of space on the planet. No, I delight in you. That's how he puts him back on his feet. A gentle whisper. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace. That love to know. Spirit breathing from above. That has taught me. It is so. Spirit breathing. And so we get a recovery of his love for us. Didn't we all love it when we heard that Ephesians passage read this morning from perhaps the message or something? I did it because I wanted to. That just makes something spark in your heart. Then last of all, reinstatement and new commission. This is total recovery. Return on your way. And the, the phrase that I noticed, it says, when you have arrived. He's not saying, okay, Elijah, we're back, run along. No, it's not run along, it's commissioning. It's the same as Simon Peter, okay, you're a failure, but, you know, mm. no, you are reinstated. You're reinstated. I love it to Simon Peter. He's reinstated. It's not like you're just forgiven. It's not like on the day of Pentecost, there's Simon Peter in the back of the crowd saying, well, go for it, James. Go on, really preach it. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me be back in the group. Really grateful. Go on, James. I don't want to forgive him, but sock it to him, James. No, no, no. That's Peter, Simon Peter. Simon standing with the eleven. Well, Simon, you wreck. Yes, the wreck, the one whose public denial is there for us all to read about. Jesus really knows how to forgive. He really knows how to reinstate. Simon, standing with the eleven, preaches. He's completely reinstated. That's the wonder of the grace of God. That's the wonder of his ability to restore. He restores my soul. Psalm 23 makes me lie down. He restores my soul. What a thing to say about God. Why? Because my soul needs restoring from time to time. And he's expert at it. He restores our soul. So we get this commissioning. Go and anoint some kings. I can imagine Elijah in his desperate state saying, I used to speak to kings. I used to speak to kings. I was God's spokesman to a king. That's all finished. I was all over the man. He's not only speaking to kings now, he's appointing kings. Go and make kings. <laughs> you appoint them. And then he says, now, go and find Elisha. Why? Well, I want another one like you. You want another one like me? I'm a blot on the planet. No, I want another one like you. you. Sometimes you can read it superficially and think, of course, Elijah's the end of Elijah. Elijah steps up. No, 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 no. More, at least ten years. 
And you find stories of Naboth's vineyard and everything. Elisha's still got ministry, and he wants, Eli- he wants Elisha to learn. He wants Elisha to learn from me. Yeah, you know more than you realize. You've learned so much more than you know you've learned. You know me, you know how to relate to me. This young prophet, he needs to learn from you. And you're thinking, I've nothing to give. And he's saying, oh yeah, I want another one like you. Someone piece of feed my sheep. Commission is very healing. A sense of appointment, a sense of God saying, I'm calling you to do this. You know I've chosen you, you know I've called you. Now come on, let's do this. I've given you this. Do it. And not only that, take responsibility for somebody else. See, Elijah's a kind of a loner, isn't he? No one left but me. He's been a loner. Being a loner is not also always very healthy. Take responsibility for somebody else. Not just taking your own pulse all the time. How am I doing? Am I doing very well? How's your disciple doing? <laughs> Oh, you mean I have to get it for him? It's very healing for us. It's very helpful for us. Also, hopefully, very helpful for Elisha. But get on your feet and commissioning you and start caring about someone else as part of the commission. Start shaping another life. Start taking another under your wing. Like Isaiah sees a whole nation turning away from him. And God says to him, now go and disagree, gather your disciples. Come on, you've got guys who want to learn from you. You may feel there's so much disappointment there. There's some there who want to learn from you. Get them close. Disciple them. Start blessing them. Start teaching them the things I have taught you. Get out of that I-only complex. So we find the full recovery of this man. We're told Elijah was a man just like us. I'm so, I'm so glad that Pipe was so honest. If it wasn't for this chapter, I think, well, there's Elijah, try and be like him. Oh, how, do you, how do you be like him? Now I can see. Now I can see. He's just like me. He, he suddenly, well, I thought I had a done that. Suddenly, the college is gone. Suddenly, everything's blurred. But Jesus doesn't abandon him, doesn't leave him, but comes to him. Gives him rest. Come on, rest. Sleep, eat. Now, what are you doing here? Come on, we know one another. I know you by name. We've got some history. That's the truth we're sorting this room. God would say to you, I've got some history. We've got some history. Come on. Let's go. Let's go from here. Let's get on with the task. Your mind, we're going on together. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your ability to change everything for us. Father, I want to pray for my sisters, my brothers, this morning, where we feel unappreciated. We don't understand the delay. We're perplexed. It so drains our energy, Lord. Well, we just come to you right now. Beloved, why don't you just, just come to him in your heart? See, everything's open and laid bare to him. And he still loves us. He loves us. He knows the depths of my heart and loves me the same. I love that line in that song of Stuart and Kate's. He knows the depths of my heart and loves me the same. 
His commitment is unchanging. Covenant love is his special strength. Covenant love. Loyal. Loyalty is at the, the root of that word chesed. Norman Smith's book says the root of chesed is covenant love. Loyalty. How can I give you up? I've still got ambition for you. Just be aware, dear friends, God's got more ambition for you than you ever had for yourself. He's chosen us that we might be fruitful. The Apostle Paul said, if I live, that means fruitful service for me. It's that wonderful confidence. If I live, that means fruitful service. God wants us to have that expectation. That's not an arrogant man. That's a man who's learned to trust God. If I live, that means fruitful service for me. God wants us to hear his tenderness, his delight in you. To understand one glance of your eye can ravish his heart. His gentle whisper, he delivered me because he delighted in me. So David complained. His gentleness made me great. Lord, I thank you for your gentleness. I thank you for parents in this room who know what it is to pick up a child that's got bewildered. Sometimes to speak, speak quite straight to him. Also to speak with such gentleness, such reaffirming love. Father, I do pray we may more and more get to know you and represent you well to those we serve. We may feed the flock of God. Like Simon Peter is told, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, all that you're learning of my style. I pray, Father, not only for every preacher in this room, I pray for those who hear that preaching that your grace might penetrate the church, your tender mercies, your loving ways, that we, the flock of God, in an unloving world, may look loved and secure and safe, reaching out hands to those who are in peril. God, bless this word. I pray, Father, please bless this word to us in a lasting way. Feed and shape us for your great glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague, or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.